Hey, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Hey, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited to be with you all as we continue in our series in the Gospel of John. I wonder, have you ever tried to convince someone to change their mind? Yeah, from the laughter, you know that it's very difficult, right? It's, it's really hard to convince someone to change their mind. Two years ago, I was in Guatemala, uh, Guatemala City, with a, a team from our church, along with one of the other pastors, Will Vakurovich, and we got into a great debate between Will and I, even a disagreement. And here's the thing about Will. Will's one of my closest friends. I love Will. And you know what? He is much sharper than I am in a lot of areas of life, but not with this one, okay? He is dead wrong about this. See, we got into a debate about whether guacamole is a condiment or whether it's a side. And Will is wrong. He believes that guacamole is a condiment. The whole week we were in Guatemala, we were going back and forth. We got the people on the trip involved, so much so that they went to the internet, the knower of all, right, and Googled whether it's a condiment or a side, and it's not a condiment, says the internet. So Will is wrong. But here's the thing about Will. Two years later today, he and I are still going at it. I cannot convince Will that guacamole is not a condiment. It is not in the same category as mustard. I'm sorry, it's just not. It's something entirely different. It's very hard to change someone's mind about something. But has your mind ever been changed by experiencing something? I love tacos. I'm a taco connoisseur and uh, love going to taco, taco spots all over the city. And a few years ago, uh, a couple of my friends, as we were doing a taco crawl across a bunch of different taco spots, they were trying to convince me that langua was good. If you don't know what langua is, it's tongue, okay? And so I'm sitting across the table as my buddy orders langua tacos, and at the taco spot we were at, they just so happened to like dice it up in some pretty large like cubes. And I'm looking across at what is inside his taco, and all I see are taste buds. And I'm like, man, I'm sorry, but I'm not trying to put something in my mouth that belongs in an animal's mouth, you know? And people were trying to convince me that it's really good. And I could not be convinced until a couple years later, I was at my favorite taco spot, and as I'm walking down the, the line, I see they've got langua, but it looks like carne asada, and I'm like, okay, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. I've been trying, people have been trying to get me to try this for a long time, so I tried it, and it was actually really good, um, to my surprise, but the thing that changed my mind was experiencing it, right? Eating the taco and being changed from the inside out as I tasted it, Right? There's a difference between trying to convince, there's a difference between someone trying to convince you of something and you being convicted. Conviction comes from the inside out and it changes how you live. Today, we're going to see that you don't have to convince the world about Jesus because the Spirit has the power to convict the world about Jesus. And so we're going to be in John chapter 16. If you are here last week, Josh preached in John 14. And so uh, we're going a little bit out of order, but there's a reason. 
our preaching calendar, we made some shifts, and so we moved some things around. We're going to be coming back to John 15, just so you guys are aware. And so to set the, set the context of what's going on here, we're looking at John 16, verses 5 through 11. This is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And the disciples are freaking out a bit because Jesus tells them that he's leaving them. They're worried. They're scared because persecution is taking place. It's probably only going to get worse. And they're being persecuted for following Jesus. And now he says that he's leaving them. So they're probably wondering, what in the world are we going to do? The disciples are probably asking, how are we going to convince the world about the truth of Jesus when he's MIA? He's gone. But Jesus knows exactly what his disciples need. They need reassurance. They need to be reassured that when he leaves, not only will they be okay, but Jesus tells them they're going to be better off. He says in verse 7 that they'll be at an advantage. This is what Josh talked about last week, about how the Holy Spirit's an upgrade, not a downgrade. Jesus says, I'm going to leave to go to my Father, but I'm sending you something better. I'm sending you my Spirit. And so the disciples won't need to convince the world about Jesus because when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will convict the world. But what does the Spirit convict of? How does the Spirit convict? And how does this bring reassurance and hope for us? Let's see what Jesus says here in John 16. If you grab your Bibles, uh, we're looking at verse 8 here, picking up in verse 8. Jesus tells his disciples, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so the first thing we see Jesus telling his disciples is that the Spirit convicts of sin. The Spirit convicts the world of sin because of its unbelief. So most likely, when you hear the word sin, your mind probably starts thinking about behavior or morality. But the surprising thing with John right here is he's highlighting that, and he does this throughout the entire Gospel of John, that the Spirit's conviction and Spirit's convicting runs much deeper than behavior. The Spirit convicts of unbelief because unbelief is the root of all sin. And John highlights throughout his gospel that unbelief is the very thing that condemns people. This means that you are not convicted because of how bad your behavior is. You're convicted because you don't want Jesus. You don't want redemption. You would prefer the darkness instead of the light. You prefer your own way instead of the way of Jesus. And so the Spirit comes to bring conviction to address the refusal to believe Jesus. See, it's not the amount of your sin, it's the love of your sin that the Spirit is exposing and convicting. 
It's not the amount of your sin, it's the love of your sin that the Spirit is exposing and convicting. And the reason why the Spirit, the Spirit convicts is in order to shine the light of Christ, the radiance of his presence into the places where the world prefers darkness instead of light, because the light always chases away the darkness and darkness cannot extinguish it. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of its unbelief. But conviction is a legal term. A lot of times when we hear convict or convicted, you think about a legal setting, like a courtroom. And so I want you to to think about a courtroom. There's an image on the screen here. I've never, I've been in some courtrooms. I've never been in one this fancy, but courtrooms look something like this. And see, a lot of times when we talk about sin, if we put ourselves in the courtroom, we think that we are the defendant or sometimes maybe even the judge, that we can judge someone else's sin. But see, as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we are not the defendant and we are not the judge, but we are actually called to the witness stand because we are witnesses. We're called to the witness stand to give testimony and bear witness to Jesus as his people. And the Spirit... In this image, in the courtroom, the Spirit sits on the judge's bench because the Spirit is the judge who convicts and sentences the world of its crime of unbelief. Jesus wants us to know this morning that the Spirit is the one that convicts the world of sin. It's not us. The Spirit has the power to bring conviction. What we do is we bear witness to Jesus, to the beauty of Jesus, and the only way that we can even bear witness effectively is by the power of the Spirit in us. Jesus reassured his disciples in this conversation before he leaves, and he reminds us today that apart from him, Apart from the Spirit, the only thing you and I can try to do is convince people about Jesus. But here's the thing. I can't even convince Will what guacamole is after two years. Like, if we're trying to convince people about Jesus, we're kind of hosed. But there's good news. See, the good news is because of the Spirit, you and I, we don't convince people. We bear witness to Jesus, and the Spirit brings conviction. The Spirit is the one doing this, and the Spirit wants to convict this morning. The Spirit wants to convict this morning deeper than your behavior, but convict your unbelief. Because some of you are sitting here this morning believing that other things are more beautiful than Jesus believing that other things are somehow better than Jesus, wanting other things more than Jesus. And what the Spirit wants to do is to convict you, to draw you in, to pull you in towards Jesus. See, this is the beauty of conviction. A lot of times we hear conviction, we think bad, right? We're thinking in the courtroom of, oh, this is bad, but conviction is a very good thing. The reason why all of us are gathered here as God's people is because the Holy Spirit has convicted us. 
Conviction is a very good thing. It's God's grace in action. It's beautiful. There's beauty to conviction because what happens is the spirit is on the move and the spirit knows who you are. The spirit knows the depths of who you are, exposes you for who you are, reveals who you are. The spirit knows you better than anyone else. All of the things that you keep hidden in the corners and the cracks and crevices of your life, the spirit knows those things. And the spirit is revealing those things. But unlike the judge in the courtroom, the spirit doesn't convict and sentence you and send you away to prison, but the spirit convicts you and pulls you in towards Jesus. It's the beauty of conviction, that the reason why the Spirit convicts is to draw you in towards Jesus, to pull you in. See, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. Conviction is a part of God's kindness because it doesn't push you away. It actually pulls you in towards Christ so that you can experience the loving kindness of our God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Jesus continues in verse 10, and he says, the Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The next thing we see Jesus telling his disciples here is that the Spirit convicts of righteousness. He convicts of righteousness because of the ascension, because Jesus is going to the Father. But what is righteousness? I think that word in our society today has baggage. There are negative connotations attached to righteousness. The word word has a bad rap. It's almost something that we're not striving after or desiring. Because when we hear righteousness, we think of the self-righteous person, right? The person that thinks they're superior to other people and looks down on and treats them as if they're inferior. We've all experienced that, right? But I think from our experience, what that has done is it taints our vision so that we don't see the beauty of righteousness the way that we ought. See, because... When you look at the Bible, biblically, righteousness is actually a beautiful thing. It's something to be desired. That the word for righteousness can actually be translated into justice, meaning justice. And so to be righteous means to be upright. It means to be just. It means to be aligned with the ways of God. And so the Spirit convicts of righteousness because Jesus has gone to the Father, his ascension. What happens in the ascension is Jesus is being installed as the one true rightful ruler of the world, that he is the king over all of creation, ruling and reigning with all authority. Jesus is the righteous one. He is the perfectly upright one. He is the one who is perfectly just. He is the one who is perfectly, rightly aligned with the ways of God. And so the righteous one has taken the throne, and now he is setting the world to right. And now he sends the Holy Spirit, and what the Spirit does is the Spirit gathers the new humanity, gathers together the people of God. 
N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, he says this about the Spirit. He says, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are both individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. I love that image. Church, this is us. Individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. See, you and I, believers in Jesus, we have been made right, declared righteous because of Christ. And now, as the new humanity, we are called to embody the righteousness of Christ in the world. Do you want to be a part of God's new world that is characterized by beauty, justice, and righteousness? The powerful thing is, when you see righteousness in action, it convicts of unrighteousness. When you see righteousness in action, it convicts of unrighteousness. So for the last 17 years, I've worked uh, as a hairdresser slash barber in multiple salons. And so uh, not as of late, but prior 17 years, that was what I was doing. And so working in salons, it's a really unique experience. There's really not many places like a salon in the workplace, right? And one of the things that is so interesting about a salon is that it not only accepts but actually encourages, and I would even say celebrates something. One of those acceptable sins that we have just kind of turned a blind eye to and accepted. Gossip. The salon is the place for gossip. See, it's interesting because as a hairdresser, you are expected to be half artist and half therapist, right? And so everyone coming to you as a hairdresser is talking about anything and anyone and also everything and everyone at the same time. And so your clients are talking to you and, man, gossip happens, right? And it's almost like, yeah, this is the salon's the place for gossip. You want the latest, juiciest gossip, go to the salon, right? And so a few years ago, I found myself getting caught up in that, though. That it's hard because when people are talking to you about other people all the time, you get wrapped up in it. And I found myself really uh, beginning to gossip and talk about other people. And here's the thing that I used to do. I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but it's, it's like the, the Christian disclaimer to, hey, I'm about to gossip, but it's okay, is I used to say all the time, hey, I don't want to gossip, but da-da-da-da-da, right? Hey, I don't want to gossip about this person, but I'm going to do it anyways. And so I was doing that all the time. And here's the thing about gossip. Man, it made me feel good. Made me feel good because, well, at least I'm not like that person. Man, I'm, I'm pretty awesome, you know? Oh, I'm a great husband. Oh, I'm a great this, that, the other. And you start to hear people talking, and then you begin to continue to disseminate those, uh, the, the things about people's lives to other people, and it actually makes you feel good about yourself. But I had a friend who, who was a Christian. And several years back, it, it was so interesting because I would observe this guy And there had been multiple times where there was opportunity for him to participate in gossip, for him to talk about other people, but he never would. 
he actually wouldn't talk about people unless they were physically present. And so there were multiple times where he would, he would step back and even pull out of a conversation. And I was like, man, something about this guy. Because I saw righteousness in action through him and it convicted me of my unrighteousness. That the way that he lived, the spirit of God used that to convict me of my sin where I needed to repent of getting caught up in something that was so encouraged and even celebrated within the place where I was working. And the Spirit used that friend and the way that he lived to convict me. Church, when you walk in Christ's righteousness, the Spirit uses it to convict the world. When you walk in Christ's righteousness, the Spirit, can, the Spirit uses it to convict the world. See, you don't need to convince people of their unrighteousness, but walk in the righteousness of Christ and let the Spirit convict. So because how we live our lives as God's people matters. The way that we live as God's people matters in the world. That our holiness and our growing in Christ-likeness, these things really matter. The world is watching us, and it matters for the sake of our witness, for the sake of God's kingdom in the world, that we witness to that, that we're bearing witness. And so the way that we live really does matter. And if you haven't noticed, people's eyes outside of the church, especially in our society right now, are zeroed in and locked in on what the church is doing. And how we live as God's people matters. But I wonder, what causes you not to walk in righteousness? Another way of saying that is, what causes you to turn down the volume on conviction? So I think there's probably a lot of things, but for our church, I think there's two that are prevalent. Two things that cause us to turn down the volume on conviction. The first is a fear of legalism. That we have a fear of being viewed as legalistic. That we don't want to be, we don't want to be legalists. And so that causes us to, to subtly turn down the volume on conviction. Hear me. I'm not about to preach a sermon about legalism and why it's good. Legalism is bad, right? Legalism is, is bad, and it's the antithesis to the good news of Jesus, okay? So I'm not saying that legalism is good. It's bad, but here is the other side of the coin that is also very, ba very bad that we can fall prey into. It's turning down the volume on conviction so much so that we are not walking in the righteousness of Christ. That is not good either. That is very bad. And hear me, it's not legalism to say that Christ has made you righteous and he has made you right, and now he has given you his spirit and calls you to live a certain way, to walk in righteousness. That's not legalism. That's literally what the Bible teaches and what Jesus teaches. Our, what we do doesn't make us right before God. He's made us right. He's given us his spirit, but then he actually calls us to walk in righteousness as his people. But here's the problem when we turn down the conviction. It leads us to participating and consuming 
what the world declares to be righteous and good. And even more problematic is we naively participate and consume thinking that those things won't form us. But they will, and they do. So I think about entertainment. We are a people who loves to be entertained. All of us probably has a TV in the place we live. Most of us, it's fair to say. Some of us even have a TV in every room of our house. And then we've all been duped because when streaming subscriptions came out, it was the best thing ever, right? You could get this one streaming subscription. You would no longer have to pay $120 a month for cable, but now it was only going to cost $10 a month, and it was going to save you money. It was going to be way easier because everything you would want would be on this streaming app. Well, we've all been duped because now we all have eight different streaming subscriptions. It is way more complicated to find anything to watch because you don't know which streaming service it's on, and then you scroll through it, and you're now spending more money than you ever were with cable. Right? That's not a part of my sermon, though. Anyways, we've all been duped. Uh, We've all been duped by it, though. But we love entertainment. See, but here's my question for you. What are you watching for entertainment? What are you watching for entertainment? I'm sure some of you binge-watching Squid Games, or Game of Thrones, or the Netflix hit series called You, or the next show, or the next show. And I'm not up here to tell you what you can and can't watch, but here's my question for you. Is it feeding righteousness in your soul? Is what you're watching for entertainment feeding righteousness in your soul? Is it forming you into the image of Christ or into the image of something else? And guys, I'm guilty of this too. I watch some of this stuff, right? But I ask that question because that's the question I ask. It's the question I ask, is this feeding righteousness in my soul? Is this going to help me walk in the righteousness that Christ has called me to walk in? See, the other thing that turns down the volume on our conviction and actually causes us not to walk in righteousness is there's a cultural mindset that is bled into the church. Everyone's like, oh, shoot, what's he going to say? There's a lot of them, right? But there's one specifically is that nobody thinks they're wrong. It's the I'm always right all the time mentality where you don't want to ever admit you're wrong. And even when the conversation comes up, then you've got a laundry list of 20 20 justifying reasons on why you are justified in the very thing you're doing. See, when we don't ever think that we are wrong, it causes us not to walk in righteousness. And this is not what the Spirit of God is doing. The Spirit does not want to turn down the volume on conviction. The Spirit is actually turning up the volume on conviction. And Jesus says here that 
the Spirit is convicting the world of righteousness. He continues in verse 11 and says, The Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The last thing we see Jesus saying to his disciples in this passage is that the Spirit convicts of judgment. The Spirit judges the world because Satan has been judged. Judgment. It points forward. It points forward to the day where there will be final judgment, a day in the future when final judgment will happen. And on that day when final judgment happens, Satan and everything that is associated with Satan will be condemned. This is our hope. Church, this is our hope. But what Jesus says here is that it's not just in the future. Jesus says that the ruler of the world has already been judged because the ascension of Jesus is judgment. It is in his exaltation where Jesus takes the throne and his enthroning is Satan's dethroning. It's his exaltation that is Satan's humiliation. And now Jesus is the rightful ruler of the world as he dethrones Satan and the powers of darkness. At the end of the biblical story in Revelation, we get a picture. We get a picture in Revelation chapter 12 of Satan being cast down to earth, where he's been dethroned and he knows of his defeat. But the thing we see in Revelation 12 is that Satan is still thrashing around, wreaking havoc on earth. Sounds familiar probably to many of us because if you look around the world and if you look at your life and the lives of others around you, if you're honest, sometimes it seems like Satan is winning. If you're honest, sometimes it seems like Satan is winning because you are experiencing his thrashing around and wreaking havoc in your lives and in the world. And so then when we hear Jesus say this, it's like, man, you say that Satan has been judged, but man, it seems like he's winning. Where can you find hope when you feel like Satan's winning? find hope knowing that Satan is a wounded animal. He is a wounded animal who has been delivered death blows and now is thrashing around trying to survive. And Jesus is the one who has delivered the death blows to Satan. He delivers the death blow of the cross where Satan is disarmed. He delivers the death blow of the resurrection where Satan is defeated. He delivers the death blow of the ascension where Satan is dethroned. And now Satan is this wounded animal who only gets more fierce because he's trying to survive. He's trying to hang on and hold on because he knows what's coming for him. He knows his impending doom. He knows where he's going and he knows that it's coming. And so he's thrashing around trying to survive. 
This reminds me of something that I do with my boys. So I have three sons, and uh, somehow we got cursed. Uh, we live in a neighborhood with scorpions. So yeah, there's that. And uh, we've got scorpions at our house. And one of the things that I love doing with my boys is going scorpion hunting, okay? And you know what? It's not in the Bible, but I think God delights <laughs> in us scorpion hunting. You want to know why? Because they're desert demons. That's why. They are desert demons. Scorpions are Satan's servants here in Arizona. I swear. But in all reality, when my oldest son Wyatt was two, he got stung by a scorpion in our house, and it was bad. He almost died. And so we take this stuff serious, right? Hunting scorpions, we got to get rid of them because they're dangerous. And so what I love doing is we don't just hunt for scorpions, right? Most people go out with a black light, and they got a shoe, or they got a shovel, or a broom, or something like that. We up the ante. We turn into barbarians, right? I'm training my kids to be barbarians because we go out with a black light and the big butcher's knife from the kitchen. <laughs> you can judge my parenting later, but I'm telling Wyatt, tell Wyatt, hey, they tried to kill you so you can get them, man. Get them. Uh, but we go out with a butcher's knife, and here's what we do. You find the scorpion, and they're quick. You got to sneak up on it, and then we deliver the death blow, right? The death blow with the knife, and we cut them in half. Who in here has ever cut a scorpion in half? Anybody? Okay, 9 a.m. was no one, and I felt like, man, am I really that violent? Is there something wrong with me? Okay, I'm not the only person. Okay, so for those of you who haven't, you're going to learn something. For those of you who have, you'll be like, yeah, I'm tracking. So when we go scorpion hunting and when we find the scorpion, we cut it in half, and the craziest thing happens. Scorpions don't die immediately. They have a delayed expiration. They have a delayed death. But as you sever the tail with the stinger where the power is, as you cut it off, it's crazy. It begins thrashing around. And the stinger is trying to sting you. It's going like this. You can watch it with a black light. It's completely severed from the scorpion's body, but the scorpion is dying and it's thrashing around and its stinger is trying to attack you on its way to death. See, the scorpion knows that it's dying. It feels the death blow. And it knows that its time is coming. The clock is ticking. The timer is set for it to die. And so the scorpion tries to inflict pain while it can. It may look like Satan is winning sometimes. But the spirit reveals that the victory belongs to Jesus. Because Satan is like the scorpion that is thrashing around, trying to sting as the clock is ticking. As the timer is going down, Satan has an expiration date. See, in that courtroom image, the spirit is the judge who has not only convicted Satan, but has sentenced him and condemned him. His time is coming. Church, what this means is that we have hope because the ruler of the world is judged. Satan has been judged. We don't like that word, judgment. Judgment feels dirty in our society. The worst thing you can do 
is judge in our world right now. And the problem with that is that we can miss the beauty of judgment. Because judgment is actually good news. What the Bible tells us is that judgment is good news and it is a beautiful thing because there is a day when justice is coming. It is good news because the clock is ticking, the timer is set, and Satan's time will expire one day. And on the day when Satan's time expires, Satan and all of the stuff that is connected to him will expire. All of the stuff will be banished, will be condemned, will be thrown down, and will be destroyed. Death and sickness, injustice, sin, evil, all of the things that have contributed to the brokenness of our world, the pain in our lives, all of the things that you and I hate and we wish were not so, there is a day coming that it will expire. That is the good news of judgment. And this is our hope that there is a day that it will be gone, be done away with once and for all. But what I know is that for some of you here today, you need hope. What I know from knowing some of you personally, that you're going through it and you need hope. Because for some of you, you have been stung by the scorpion. You've been stung by the scorpion that's thrashing, trying to hold on. You've been attacked by the wounded animal. And the thing is, it stings. Getting stung by a scorpion is painful. So some of you here today are sitting with the sting. You're sitting with pain. And you're hurting. And it actually might seem like Satan is winning. And please hear me because I love you. There is an expiration date. And just as the disciples needed reassurance before Jesus left in John 16, so do you. This is your hope. That the Holy Spirit, who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, is the same spirit that is within you that testifies that the day is coming when it will expire. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Lord, for your spirit's presence and power among us this morning as we gather as your people. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be convicting this morning, Lord, deeper than behavior, that you would be convicting people of what they love, Lord, of of their unbelief, Jesus, that you would be drawing them, Lord, not convicting to push them out, but draw them to you, Jesus. And so we pray, Spirit of God, that you would do that. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the comforter, Lord, for those who have been stung by the scorpion this morning, and need hope, would you be speaking hope that your presence would be so near and tangible to them this morning? And Lord, we thank you 
that because of your spirit, we don't have to try to convince people about you, Jesus, but we walk in righteousness and Holy Spirit, you do the conviction. And so Lord, we thank you that we get to participate in what you're doing. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have made us right. Lord, we thank you for your power that is at work among us. Holy Spirit, would you point us to Jesus as we respond to the good news? It's in your name, amen. So we're gonna move into a time of response where we're gonna respond to the good news of Jesus this morning. We do that through our song and singing. And I wanna encourage you to sing loudly to our God because he's worthy of our praise. It's gonna be men and women on the sides of the stage who would love to pray with you and for you. If you need prayer, please come and receive prayer. We also respond by taking communion. And the invitation this morning as we take communion is to be invited to Jesus, the righteous one, who lived perfectly without sin and yet was convicted by the world and died so that we could be free from the power of Satan and sin and be filled with the Holy Spirit as his people. And so as we partake of communion this morning, the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given for us. And the wine or the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. So I want to invite you to respond whenever you're ready. <laughs>